at the last of six Christmas Eve services. <laughs> this is either going to be the best one ever or terrible. We'll see. You know, we don't know what's going to happen yet. What we do know, for those attending online and don't live in Indiana, it's going to be dark and cold when we leave here. So thank you guys for uh, joining us in person, and uh, we got something special we want to share with you. But that said, will you put your hands together welcome those who are attending live online? We're glad that you're here and hope you connect with God, share this service live. Uh, I want to encourage you guys, you know, I, we don't take it lightly that you took time out of your schedule to be with us on this day, at this time, in a culture sometimes where we don't make time for the things of God. I'm also not going to assume that everybody here is in the same place spiritually. So if you walked into this space and it's the first time you've been in a church in years, welcome. We started this church for you. Uh, we believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So it never fails. We have people like, dude, I thought my hair was going to light on fire for stepping into a church. Uh, this church is for you, and I can't wait to, to share with you the good news of Jesus' birth with you, which is really what we're doing. But before I do that, on the last of our six services, I've done this at all the services, I also want to thank the hundreds of volunteers, the staff, and everybody that put all these on. Can you thank them for all their hard work and effort on all this stuff? I've been saying they want everything to be perfect, like the Indianapolis Colts in the first half of a football game. <laughs> oh, this is too soon, wasn't it? A headache happening all, all evening. You know... <laughs> This is a true story. I didn't want to talk about it because Ben Glenn, our student pastor, is like the biggest Minnesota Vikings fan ever. And if you're like, I don't watch sports ball, what are you talking about? Last weekend, the Colts were up 33 to nothing at the halftime, and the Minnesota Vikings had the biggest comeback in NFL history. But here's the thing. I, I was thinking, I text Ben at halftime of the game when the Vikings were losing 33 to nothing. And I was like, are you having a hard day, Ben? And uh, Paulina, I texted him. He, he, uh, he didn't respond until after the game. And then he was like, turned out to not be so bad after all. What I found out later was he, he had turned the game off in the first half because he got so mad. And then he actually was with his mom and wouldn't talk to his mom because he was mad about the football game. He's a grown man. And I was, uh, so he missed the entire comeback, all because his expectations were, were they were going to be winning in that first half. On the other hand, Colts fans, after, you know, if we would have started the game by saying, hey, you're playing one of the best teams in the entire NFL, and it's going to come down to the wire, and you're going to lose in overtime by a field goal, we'd probably go, oh, that's pretty good, right? But because we were up 33 to nothing, and it's the greatest comeback in history, some of you no longer have television sets in your house. They have been destroyed. Uh, expectations matter. And when our expectations aren't met, that's often when we get frustrated in life. I find that sometimes in our lives spiritually too, expectations matter. And when God doesn't meet our expectations, we get frustrated. And what I want to share with you this evening is it's actually sometimes in the middle of unexpected circumstances with unexpected outcomes that God can move and use us the most. Think about it. We're looking at a story of a teenage couple in an oppressed people group in a civilization where they had no power and authority who were given a child through the Holy Spirit and then made to go to a town where they did not live to give birth, most likely with animals potentially present, 
And through all of that, that was the way that God chose to bring in the Messiah, which is Hebrew for anointed one. Christ is Greek for anointed one. To bring the savior of the world, the king of the universe, was born in that way. He could have chosen any way, but he wanted to show he was willing to humble himself into the approachable nature of a child so that anybody could draw near to him. That's what I want to study together to talk about what to do when God does the unexpected. Are you ready to study God's word together? <laughs> there was like three woos over here. Is this, you guys ready to study God's word together, church? All right, there we go. Uh, here we go. It's the last one. So let's enjoy it. Verse one of chapter two in the gospel of Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, the governor of Syria, uh, was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, let me give you a little Western civilization history lesson. Some of you know this, but in 721 BC, the Assyrians take over the northern kingdom of Israel. In 586 BC, the Babylonians invade from the east and take over all of Israel. And then the Persians take it all over. And then the Greeks take it over. And finally, the Romans have taken it all over. We're on to like the fourth or fifth oppressor of the people of Israel. And the whole time they've just been waiting and praying for the Messiah to come to give them their king and their land back so they could get rid of the Romans or the Greeks or the Persians or the Babylonians or the Assyrians. And finally, the Savior is born, and it's not in the way that they thought. And the Roman emperor, the Caesar, Augustus, you can still go to his tomb in Rome today, he is calling the census because they've taken over so many different people groups, they can't even count them all. Like, hey, how many people we got anyway? I don't know. Let's count them. So they go to their hometowns, and what they don't realize is the Caesar, by doing this, is actually fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy from hundreds of years earlier. You see, in the fourth verse, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now, Bethlehem is south of Nazareth. So why does it say go up? Because it's actually, Bethlehem is near Jerusalem, which is up in the mountains. So they're, they're doing an arduous journey with any possession that they have while pregnant up into the mountains to the city of Bethlehem, all because their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was from the lineage of King David. Now, in the Old Testament, it said that the, the, the Messiah would come from the line of David, that his throne was an eternal throne. In Matthew chapter one, we know Joseph was of the line of David. That's why they're going back there to give birth. Also, it talks about that Bethlehem is where the Messiah would be born. At this time, there's probably less than 20 families who live in the small town of Bethlehem. Stay with me for a second. It says in verse five, he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I'm going to break down the historical accuracy of that story and what most likely occurred. It might be slightly different than the movies that you've seen. But you have to admit, this is a pretty unexpected circumstance that happened in their life. And I want to talk to you today that I believe sometimes it's in those unexpected moments that God can do the most. What if God was to do the unexpected in you tonight? Will you pray with me? God, I got to be honest, uh, this is the sixth time around. I have so much stuff I still want to share. But I, I know, God, walking out of here, they don't need more of me talking or anyone in here talking. We need more of you, God. So we acknowledge your presence. 
The Bible teaches us that your spirit is here with us. God, because uh, you came into the world, Jesus, that you were Emmanuel, God with us, that you're still with us and present here today. I pray you'd speak through any assumptions we have when we came in the room and that you might speak to our souls wherever we're at spiritually. We surrender this time to you and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Have you ever had something that you thought was going to be terrible but ended up being incredible? You know, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, For me, spiritually, uh, following Jesus was not something that seemed very attractive to me. It seemed like a, a terrible idea. Kind of like uh, this week, here's something that happened that I thought was terrible. It ended up being kind of fun for me. I, I got a, a notification on my phone that somebody was requesting $500 from me. His name was Robert Lengenberger. Do any of you know Robert? I didn't know Robert either. So I was like, why is he requesting $500 and why is he using PayPal? It's 2022. And I got online there and I couldn't figure out, like I finally figured out how to decline it. And then I saw at the bottom of the email that if this is fraud, then you should contact this number and report it. So I thought, well, this guy's not getting one over on me. So I called the number on there and was going to report it as fraud. And the other person picked up on the line. Turned out they were from Sri Lanka. And it turns out Robert Langenberger actually wasn't from the United States. And he said, actually, that payment already went through, and it was $500 for Bitcoin. You must have gifted it. And I said, no, I didn't. I didn't gift this money. What are you doing? And I started to get very frustrated. And then what happened next, I was beginning to ask him more questions, and he started asking for some financial information. And suddenly it hit me. Some of you see where this is going. I thought, what if the phone number in the email wasn't actually PayPal, And I'm actually talking to somebody who's trying to scam me right now. And suddenly this thing that I thought was horrible turned into something really fun for me. (laughs) I was like, Robert, are you trying to scam me? Oh, no, no, no. We here at PayPal take this uh, very seriously. Oh, can I talk to your supervisor? Oh, we don't, I don't have a supervisor, actually. Robert, I, I'm pretty sure you're trying to scam me, and I figured it out, and you're not going to get me. And he got very upset, said some things on the phone, and hung up on me. I've never felt so good in my entire life. It was like, yes, vindication. I finally figured out one of these scams before they scam. It felt so good. You're like, that's a bad example of something bad that turned out to be good. It was good for me. I'll tell you a better example of this is actually with my kids. I asked them the same question. What's something in your life that you thought was going to be terrible turned out being amazing? And my daughter instantly said, the blue slide. <laughs> I was like, the blue slide? Oh, that I remembered Several years ago, we had gone on a family vacation to a water park, and there was a giant blue slide. It was the scariest ride there. And there was no chance my wife was ever going to go on it. And our four-year-old at the time, Jet, came to us and said, said, Dad, I really want to go on that slide. And Lisa was like, no way, he's only four years old. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, but you're tough. I was like, go ahead if you want. He ran up there, (laughs) went down that thing. He thought it was a blast. He was running all the way up to the top, going back down like four times. And then it hit his older brother and sister. We can't let our four-year-old little brother do this and us be too afraid. And it was hardest for my daughter, Jenna. She had to work up the gumption, but she eventually went to the top and this thing that she thought was gonna be horrible, she came down and she had so much joy on her face after she did that. And when I asked her, what's something you thought was gonna be terrible ended up being amazing, she said the blue slide, because she said, dad, that was one of the best memories of my life. 
It's like, I hope you get more memories than that. But I, I got a picture of it. I'm not making this up. This really happened. And I, I want to use that a little bit as an analogy today for some of us in our faith. Actually beginning a relationship and giving up control seems like a scary thing. When I first, uh, I don't talk about when I first became a Christian much anymore. Uh, I mentioned Ben tonight. Ben knew me when I had just become a Christian at 19 years old. I had been somebody who was far from God that wanted nothing to do with him. I literally thought to myself, why would anybody want to do that? If, if I became a Christian, I would have to live differently, act differently, talk differently, date differently. The fun I was having on the weekends would have to be different. Every, like, my finances would look different. Every decision I'd make, I'd have to think about what God thinks. Why would anybody want to do that? That sounded horrible to me. And then I can remember uh, that year, God beginning to chip away at my life trying to speak to me. I didn't know. I didn't have that language at the time, but God was trying to speak to me. And I began to open myself up to him. And the thing that I thought was going to be this horrible experience, this scary thing, ended up being the best decision I ever made with my life. Then when you jump all in and you relinquish control of your life over the lordship of Jesus, you get to experience and have stories to tell. And I believe the first Christmas story demonstrates some of that. And I want to use that as an analogy to talk about the good news of Jesus because as Justin Martyr said, you can't really talk about his birth without also talking about his death and resurrection. See, we don't just believe that Jesus was born into the world, but that he came as a little baby boy, lived 33 years on this planet, was crucified as an atoning sacrifice for our wrongdoing so that anybody here, no matter what you've done, can ask for forgiveness, repent, receive new life, and that he didn't just die on the cross. He resurrected from the grave, overcoming death itself so that anybody can live eternally with God. It's the good news that we celebrate, and it all started with that first Christmas story. And so let's talk about what to do when God does the unexpected. What if God had a different plan for your life than you had for your own life? What if he gave you new purpose tonight? The first thing you would have to do is listen to his voice. Listen to his voice. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I told you I want to use this as an analogy. So historically speaking, this is a very small town that had less than 20 families. You've probably heard the, the movie or seen the movie before where it's like the, the, the couple is this teenage couple. They find out they're pregnant and then they're made to, to travel to Nazareth on a donkey, which was kind of the Honda Civic of the day. They eventually make it all the way up there. They get to town and there's a no vacancy sign on the hotel so they sneak into the barn because she's nine months pregnant and instantly pops out a child. That's probably not exactly how this all occurred. What, what probably had happened was they had gotten there in advance and prepared for this because they knew they were pregnant and had to be there for the census. When they got to town, there probably wasn't a hotel because it was a small town, but everybody happened to be there for the census. Now, there could have been a small inn. I, we, we don't know historically exactly. But most likely, Pastor Jeremy Leffler, our student pastor, uh, really shared this with the staff. It's, it's a really great point. In the Palestinian homes of that time, they were built into the mountainside and that the animals were often kept in a cave where you often see a nativity scene. But it would be connected to their small house that had one bedroom and potentially one guest room. And then they had a common living space that was in an open, elevated terrace and that was the place at night, most likely they brought the animals in because they were used to living with animals. We're the ones that find that strange other than dogs and cats. 
and, and rabbits in our case. And you bring the animals in because you don't want the animals to be stolen. And so probably Mary and Joseph went to a house where there was no room in the guest room for them. And so they were living in that open terrace that would have been with the animals. And there would have been a manger, which a manger is just a animal feeding trough. And that would have had a place in the floor of the common uh, room for the animals to eat from at night. And when the king of the universe is born into the world, that's the space it's in most likely with the animals and that it would have been placed in that feeding trough. And that's why it would have stuck out as a bit strange. And even if that was a common way for a Jewish child to be brought into the world in an impoverished time period, it's significant enough that even the angel notes, look for the house with a child in a feeding trough. Then you know you came to the right place. And I share all that to say, you know, when I say listen to his voice, that the first step to do when you encounter the unexpected nature of God is that most people I've found feel like you can't hear from God. You're like, I didn't hear the audible voice of the Lord. I didn't get an angel. He must either, he's not talking to me or I'm not a good enough Christian to hear from him. And I want to tell you that he is speaking to us. And the most common way to hear that is through his scripture, the Bible, his word. We don't have to question whether it's from, from God or not. We can know that I need to have my life fit what I read here. And when it doesn't, I need to make some changes. It says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So to listen to his voice, we listen to his word. Now, I want to note some things about scripture here, though, because this is what is very interesting. So if they were in that common area with paper-thin walls in this tiny home, living with the animals in the open air, and you're in a village that literally only has less than 20 families, you're telling me nobody heard that they were having a child? Nobody thought for just a second, you know what? Uh, they're having a baby. Maybe we should give them our bed and not have them live there with the animals. And if you're like, well, maybe they didn't hear them. Has anybody ever been in a room when a woman is giving birth before? That is not a quiet event. And then to boot, when a child is born, uh, Jesus would have been a newborn child. Now, maybe some of you had children with soft voices when they were born, but that is not common. Do you know how loud a uh, newborn child can get? 120 decibels. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's louder than a rock concert. That's as loud as the siren on an ambulance or a fire engine. Newborn child, woman giving birth, small town. You're telling me nobody heard it? Nobody thought to themselves, maybe we shouldn't have him be placed in the animal feeding trough and we should get a place for him to stay. Now, it could have occurred, but we have no mention of it anywhere in the New Testament. They all heard the audible voice of the baby Jesus and did nothing about it. I want to use that as an analogy to say, I wonder, for, to ask you this question, has Jesus been making any noise in your life recently? Anything do you think he's been trying to say to you? Isaiah 28, 23 says, listen and hear my voice, pay attention and hear what I say. I didn't know it at the time when I first became a Christian that God was pursuing me. He was just doing what he's done since the beginning of time. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was present there with him. When they rebelled against him, he didn't give up on them. He partnered with the people of Israel. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. And his presence is with them in the Ark of the Covenant, those 40 years in the wilderness. Then they build him a house, a temple, and he's, his presence resides there in the most holy of holies. 
and yet they still rebel against him. So he sends the prophets, say, hey, don't forget about me. I desire a relationship with you. I want to dwell with you. And yet they continue to not listen and reject him. And then finally, he sent his only son, Emmanuel, God with us, because he's going to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I was, you've been doing this to God for a while, maybe even running the other direction. I believe that there may be sleeping giants of the faith in this room right now. That if we would just relinquish control of our lives to him and face that fear, he could actually use you to do incredible things more than just go to heaven when you die. He could actually help use you to change this world. See, Point number one is listen to his voice when this unexpected, chaotic world happens. And number two, respond to his message. It's one thing to hear it. I assume you've been to a service like this before and you've heard about Jesus. I imagine even the atheists in the room are attending online. You're somewhat familiar with the story that I just described to you. But it's not just about listening and hearing. It's also about what you do with it. Do you respond to the message? The people in the community heard the cries of the baby Jesus and they didn't do anything about it. The only people that did were the social outcasts outside the city, the shepherds. These were the individuals that were lowest class that were living and sleeping with the animals at night in the wilderness. In verse eight, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Picture, picture this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Some of you need to hear this part. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. If I was to ask you if Jesus was to return tonight or that your last breaths would be in the coming year, would you be afraid? I think most human beings would answer yes. And what I want to tell you is that you do not have to be afraid. I, this is what the angel said that night. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the well-behaved people who grew up in church. The good news will bring great joy for all people. For the people with the past, for the people who are currently living separate from God, for the people who have made mistakes in their life, for the people here in their marriages on their last leg, for the people here that are struggling in school, that are struggling with their finances, that don't know where to turn to, they think nobody cares about them. He says it'll be good news that will bring great joy for all people. But you have to respond. See, the angel shows up there and he gives them this message and then look what happens. More angels show up. It says in verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, anointed one, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. He's the one in the animal feeding trough. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, here's the key part, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Now, I can imagine if these were some, you know, good Hamilton County, North Indianapolis Christians, and we saw something like that happen, we'd be like, dude, could you believe it? The angel? I know. I know. We should get together next week and talk about how we saw the angel that one time. And then we could get together the next week and talk about how we saw two weeks ago. And then for the rest of our lives, we could get together and talk about how we saw that angel that one time. 
instead of listening and then actually responding and doing something about the message that they had shared with them. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. But people don't really like us there. Who cares? We're dropping everything. They drop everything and go into town. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard, the, heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. People were never amazed by what the shepherds said, by the way, but they couldn't believe this. And they would be the only people who actually heard and responded to what God was trying to say to his message and were there to worship him after the birth. In fact, I believe that many of us have probably in this room heard the good news before, but how have you responded to his message? You know, I think every time you read the New Testament, when somebody hears the, the good news about Jesus, it requires a response. And every single time that somebody receives Christ, it changes everything. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that you become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That literally everything in their life, their time, talents, and treasures all out the window. God, I'm yours. I'm jumped on the slide of life. I'm going wherever you take me. I'm going to find joy along the way because I want to be in the center of your will and I relinquish control. And I think that's why most American Christians and most Americans today never see some of those things occur in their life because we've heard the message, but we haven't responded the way that he tells us to, which is to drop everything. The only way to respond is the way he first demonstrated his love for us, that the only begotten son gave up his life for us in humility, became a little baby boy in a time period where these people were oppressed. He demonstrated how to live as a perfect human being. By the way, I was at a, a group of non-Christians who were communicating to a large crowd, and they were talking about why they weren't Christian. How could this all-powerful God become a little baby boy who couldn't care for his own physical needs? And I walked away so encouraged in my faith because that was the number one reason why I followed Jesus. Because this all-powerful God that created the universe in six days doesn't laud his power and authority over his creation, forcing himself upon you. He allows you the ability to choose whether to receive a relationship with him or not, who became this little baby boy that gave everything up to demonstrate to you he was willing to show you how to live as a human being, that he, in his humility, gave up his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but receive everlasting eternal life. That all we have to do is believe and receive the good news of Jesus Christ, repent of our sin and wrongdoing, the junk in our life that we all have, and say, God, I need you. I receive you. Quick side note, I said you can't talk about the, the birth without talking about the death. Do you know what the name Bethlehem means? I think I said it earlier, but house of lamb. House of the Lamb. It's the place where they bred the prized lamb in their day that would be utilized uh, for the Passover and the Passover lamb that would be slain so that the sins of the Jewish community would be forgiven for one time, for one year. The book of Hebrews tells us this lamb that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, behold, the lamb of God who was born in the house of the lamb, where the prophecy said that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come from. He lived 33 years, and then he gives up his very life, crucified on the cross, uh, overcoming all sin for all time, not just for one year for the Jewish community, but for all people. Do you know what time he is crucified on the cross? Twilight, which for us would be three o'clock in the afternoon. You know what would happen on three o'clock on the afternoon on the day of the Passover? 
That's when the Passover lamb for centuries would have been slain. And Jesus gave up his life at that moment in time so that you would know it had been planned throughout all of human history that he is coming in pursuit of you. Because he loves you. And he draws you near and says, come home to me. But you have to respond. Throughout the New Testament, that's what occurs. There was a woman named Lydia in the New Testament times in the book of Acts who is a wealthy businesswoman. And she hears the message of Jesus, and she actually responds. Look what happens here in Acts 16, verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message about Jesus. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. And she will surrender her life to Jesus as Lord, and everything changes. The old is gone. The new has come. She becomes one of the first early church planters, starting a church in her house there, the church in Philippi that became one of the most influential churches that Paul actually writes with great joy because of their partnership within the gospel in Philippians chapter 1. He doesn't talk the way about others, all because this person heard the good news and responded. I wonder how many sleeping giants of the faith are in this room or attending online right now that you don't think much of yourself, but God thinks everything of you. If you didn't just listen and hear, but you actually responded the way the shepherds did, they in humility dropped everything and ran to worship Jesus. Think of what could happen just here tonight. You say, well, why is this so important? My, my wife actually asked me that. Why, why am I so passionate about this? And I realized it's this, and, and this goes kind of deep. You might say, you shouldn't do this. Not everybody's going to understand. I believe we live in an intelligent society, and you're intelligent people, and so I'm going to speak to your intellect for just a moment. Is that cool? Two people at least were, yeah, that sounds great. The others were like, ah, I'll check out. No, but they say that if you want to find out why a culture behaves the way it behaves, look at this philosophy 100 years earlier. A hundred years ago, there was an atheist by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche who was part of a group of philosophers that believed in something called nihilism, which means there is no meaning to life. We're all going to die, and we're just blowing in the breeze, here one day, gone the next, we don't know what's going to happen, and it's, you know, there's no purpose, there's no plan, there's nothing going, and so you just do whatever you can in any given moment to bring any pleasure you possibly can, because there's no point to all of this. And the reason I bring that up, I think that exemplifies our culture most often today, especially the last two and a half years where we've seen some hard things occur and people get very angry with each other. And it just feels like in culture blowing in the breeze, you don't know what's going to happen. So we're all in hurting and pain and suffering. And so there's no point to life. Just give it up. What, what do we even care? And I want to tell you, you are meant some, so much more than that. That is in direct contradiction to what the message of Christmas is. The message of Christmas is because God cared about you enough, he became one with us, entered into the world so that anybody could draw near to a perfect God and you will never be alone again. And because of that, you now have a purpose, your purpose to help those in need and proclaim our faith until the return of Jesus. And, and God in his compassion, he's not returning until the last person, the last person is going to surrender their life to him. To spend eternity with him because he loves you and he's going to pursue you. But here's the thing. He's never going to force you. And, and that as he's pursuing us, 
Unlike nihilism, we now have a purpose. And the Bible tells us, by the way, that speaks about this very thing in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, Kohelet, the teacher who wrote that, says that life is meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. We just blow about in the breeze, but what brings meaning to life are two things. That is that the Lord, our God, and our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our relationship with one another, which, by the way, is the very thing that Jesus said. What are the greatest commandments? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, the Shema. And number two is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. It's what brings purpose to life. We believe as followers of Jesus because of the good news of the birth of the Christ into the world that anybody can draw near to God and you're not alone and you now have a purpose for your life. It's more than a nine to five. It's more than just surviving like we've all tried to do for the last two and a half years. It's saying, I don't know how many breaths I get on this planet, but I want to be used by you to make an impact for all of eternity, to help those in need. And we look at the problems in our world with racism and all kinds of other things that we need to fix. And I want to tell you today that God cares and loves people more than anybody else in this culture. And if we actually receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we could be the world changers that change things around us. And so if you see the devastation in our world, don't give in to nihilism and the idea that it's all meaningless. Say that you now get to join with the mission of Jesus Christ to have a purpose to change it. I got to loosen my tie. I want to conclude with this last point. Because I'm telling you, there are some people here in this room that you don't know the depth of God's love for you. And I want to tell you, man, if you understood the depth of his love, our only response is just to say, God, I want more of you in my life. You see, one... In this chaotic world, we're all blowing in the breeze. What brings meaning and purpose to our life is if we listen to his voice, two, if we respond to his message, and three, if we invite him into our lives, but not just into part of our lives, into all of it. And we relinquish control and jump on the slide of life and say, God, use me. I can't wait to get to the bottom and see the joy because if I get to experience what you did with me in the short time I got. In verses six and seven there, again, Remember, they were there. The time came for the baby to be born and they gave birth to the firstborn of son. She wrapped the clothes, placed him in the manger because there's no guest room available for them. Nobody made room. Nobody listened to the cries and responded. Nobody said, hey, this isn't right. We're going to change it. I'm going to invite him in to my life. And I want to use that as the analogy to talk about spiritually what God desires to do for you. See, he tells it like this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. He says, here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It says he's going to pursue you. In fact, he's going to be standing at your front door of your life and he's going to be knocking away. And he's going to be making a racket and you'll be like, right, go, go away, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. No, I don't want that. And he's going to keep knocking until your last breath. But you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to force himself upon you. You're going to have to open yourself and invite him in and to relinquish control. He's not going to force that upon you. In fact, he says it like this, that when you invite him in and make the firm foundation of your life, it's actually going to lead to the life that you desire. And when you don't, it doesn't lead to the good things that you think it would. Verse uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When you build your life on the love of Jesus Christ and life, death, and resurrection for you, it'll be the firm foundation, no matter what comes, that your spiritual house is not going to fall. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In other words, in this world, there's going to be things that happen. The one true constant I've seen in 20 years of this is life changes and we can't predict what's going to happen. But the good news of Christmas is no matter what occurs in your life, financial hardships, struggle in your relationships, questions you've got, doubts and fears, the loss of a loved one, the pain and suffering of enduring an illness, no matter what you're facing right now in your life, the good news of Christmas is that you're not alone. For the addict in the room that's struggling with drugs and alcohol, if you invite him in, God is with you to face that together. For the first person struggling in your career, in your workplace, if you invite him into that space, he is with you and you are not alone. For the person who feels alone this Christmas, like you don't have anybody, he loves you more than any human being ever will. And he's going to keep pursuing you so you know the depth of his love for you. And he's not going to take, he's not going to stand for the works of the enemy in your life. And he's never going to give up until your last breath. I'm going to share one last thing that I, I asked the, this family if I could share this because it just came out on Wednesday night. And we've concluded every service with this. Because I think it perfectly illustrates everything that we're talking about. Many of you know there's a young woman in our church named Kara Cheatham who at 16 years old lost her one-year battle with stage four cancer. It's the daughter of our children's pastor, Shalonda Cheatham. Her dad, James, is up here singing. Her brother, Isaiah, is singing. What I didn't know until this last week, because we did the funeral in this space two or three weeks ago, and it was the, one of the most spiritual power, spiritually powerful things I've ever been a part of. Because this young woman who had no reason to just loved God with everything in her soul, and in the last couple of weeks of her life, Shalanda said they were talking to her about whether she feared death and what she thought of all of this. And she said, and this is from Shalanda, that Kara said, I'm so glad that God chose me. It's like, what? She's telling her staff this. She said, because I don't fear death. I know that I've given my life to Jesus and I have an intimate relationship with him. And I don't have to fear what's going to happen next. And I was just talking to James tonight. It's almost like she saw it as her calling that she got to be a testimony of, the, of how real God is, how present he desires to be in your life, to be with you through thick and thin, no matter how much the wind blew him, it blew strong against her. Things weren't falling apart because she had based her life on the foundation of the love of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many of us could say the same thing. That if we were faced with death or the return of Christ, who could say, we know exactly what's going to happen. I'm telling you, I've been around these things for a long time, and you've probably heard the message before. But I just simply want to ask, have you responded? And have you made room in your life and invited him in? the way that Kara Cheatham did because her testimony is leading so many people to faith in Jesus. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. Will you pray with me? God, 
I thank you for every person in this room right now, every person that's attending online, that you love them, the depth of love that we can't even fathom or understand, God, because we've never loved anything the way that you love us. And there are some in the room that need to feel that love today. They need to experience your presence. And they need to make you their firm foundation, the best choice that they will ever make in their life. But God, you're not going to force yourself upon us, God. So there's some of us that need to respond and invite you fully in. Some, it'll be for the very first time. We've never surrendered our life to you as Lord. We've known about you, but we've never surrendered our life to you. We've never prayed to receive you. And then there are probably many others, God, in here who have known about you, maybe even professed faith in you, but have gone away from you during this season, gotten distracted, started surviving, rather than saying, God, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Use me to make an impact for all of eternity. I make room for you. So whether it's to recommit your life or surrender your life to Jesus as Lord for the very first time, I want to give you the chance to respond to the message you just heard. No guilt in the room. I'm not going to make you do anything with every eye closed and every head bowed. I'm going to ask one thing that in a moment here on the count of three, you just raise your hand as an act of surrender to Jesus as Lord. That's it. Not going to make you do anything else, but I'm telling you, it's the best decision you're ever going to make. And I can't wait to see 20 years from now what he does with you because you jump on that ride with him and say, God, use me. I surrender everything in my life to you as Lord Jesus. If that's you here in the room, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus to invite him to be with you in everything that you do, on the count of three, I just simply ask you to raise your hand. Here we go. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he invites you to his forever family. Three, he welcomes you here with open arms. Raise it nice and high. I see you over here, that person, this person here, that person over there, and God knows what's going on in your life. I, I'm only going to ask you to raise your hand. I see you here, man, and I think there's two more over there that I missed. Uh, young people, talk to your parents today, too, about that. Anybody else in the back? If I missed anybody, raise it high. I'm not going to make you do anything, I promise. Thank you, guys. You can put those down. If, if you did that just now, I just wanted you to make that one profession so that you can know that you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. The Bible teaches us if we believe and receive his grace and forgiveness, John 1, 14 to 17, if, if we confess him as Lord with our lips, Romans 10, 9, we will be saved. And so pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I'm sorry for trying to do life without you. I do this beautiful thing and I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And on this day, Christmas Eve, 2022, I surrender my life to you fully as Lord. I receive salvation in Christ alone. God, we pray this in your name, Jesus, the name above all names. And all God's family said, amen. 